Okay, if you have um, a Bible with you, turn to Romans chapter 8. We're continuing our series uh, through the uh, letter to the Romans. And uh, today we're looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. Okay, so hear the word of God. Romans 8, verse 1 to 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh... Excuse me, those in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Uh, Let's ask God to um, help us understand this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, really do need your Holy Spirit uh, to enlighten our minds so that we can know uh, what this passage is saying and uh, how that is speaking into our lives. Uh, We pray, Father, that you would... Uh, give us understanding, but also give us, Father, a conviction uh, that what you are saying to us, that, uh, that that is true and that we can stake our lives upon it. Uh, we pray, Father, that we would be encouraged by this passage and uh, that we would be able to uh, bring our lives in conformity uh, with what's taught here. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we uh, come to what is commonly called the greatest chapter in the whole Bible. And uh, you can see why, because Romans 8, it actually takes all of the strands of the first seven chapters of Romans and weaves them together into this amazing picture of the certainty of salvation that is in uh, Christ Jesus. And uh, that means Romans 8 is all about assurance. It's all about the assurance of salvation. And you can kind of see that just from looking at it because it starts by saying there's no condemnation for those in Christ and it ends by saying nothing can separate us from Christ. So here's a chapter, its bookends are about absolute assurance 
And so everything in between that, it's all about the same topic. It's all about the assurance of salvation. And so we're actually going to spend four weeks in chapter 8. There's plenty in here, but four weeks I think should um, cover it well. Now we need to have assurance because uh, one of the things that often robs believers of assurance is the continuing uh, or the remaining uh, sin that is within us. You see, chapter 8 comes straight after chapter 7. And in chapter 7, we saw that that picture that Paul painted of his battle with remaining sin. Uh, Remember he talked about uh, that that inner warfare where he wants to do what pleases God, he has the, the delight in God's law, and yet he finds that he can't do it. He keeps doing what he doesn't want to do. Uh, Paul even said, the things I hate, I do. And, you know, of course, we can all relate to that uh, because that, that's what the normal Christian life feels like. This constant um, battle with um, remaining sin. And uh, the more progress that we actually make as Christians, the more we grow as Christians, the more we see how wretched the remaining sin in us is. And that's the normal experience of every Christian, which means we desperately need assurance. Okay, When we see how wretched our sin is, we need to have the assurance that it does, it's not going to win. We need the assurance that fighting against sin is not a lost cause, that there is a, a goal, there's an end, that there's, to- there's going to be a day when we will be victorious. We need the assurance of that. And see, that's what this chapter, well, especially this passage that we're looking at today, is all about. It's about the assurance that sin cannot defeat you. Sin cannot defeat you if you are in Christ. And the way that this passage shows us how that assurance comes into our lives is through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what this passage is about. It's about the assurance the Holy Spirit brings us in the face of remaining sin in our lives. And so this passage, it has three things to say about the assurance the Holy Spirit gives us. It shows us the assurance of freedom, the assurance of a new mindset, and finally the assurance of a final victory. So let's look at those three things. First of all, the Holy Spirit gives us assurance of freedom. Assurance of freedom. Now that's stated in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, in many ways, that statement there is a recap of everything Paul has said in Romans up to this point. And it's a statement, well, it's a statement that at the heart of it has this word, no condemnation. No condemnation for you if you're in Christ. And no condemnation, that's actually a legal term. No condemnation means to have no charges laid against you. It means to be completely free of any penalty that comes from breaking the law. So, you know, imagine you're in a courtroom. Imagine that you have this list of accusations brought against you and the list goes for a mile long. And after all of the accusations are made, the judge stands up to to declare the verdict. And what's the verdict? Not guilty. Not guilty. That's what it means, no condemnation. It means that God, the judge, has nothing against you. 
When he looks at you, he sees you as righteous in his sight. Even though you still sin, even though you continue to break his law, for those who are in Christ Jesus, God holds none of those sins against you. Not one of them. There is no condemnation. Emphasis on the word no. It actually comes, that word no comes first in the um, Greek. Uh, no condemnation. So, the start of the sentence, I should say. So, that's the thing. God holds no sin against you. Nothing that you've done wrong. Holds none of it against you. No past sins, no present sins, no sins that you're going to do in the future. Holds none of them against you. In fact, you know that, that shameful thing you did at the, in the past that continues to haunt you? God doesn't hold that against you. Or that sin that you fell back into this week, that, that, you know, that habit that you, you thought you'd finally done with and you fell back into it? This is saying God does not hold that against you. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, this, this really is an incredible statement. But why does Paul state it here? Why does he say this immediately after talking about the inner battle with sin that we have? And the reason is, is because he doesn't want you to ever lose sight of this wonderful truth, this gospel truth that there is no condemnation for you. He doesn't want you to ever lose sight of that. And, and we need to have that because what happens when we're in this battle with sin and when we fall into sin again, what happens is that we can easily fall back into thinking that our struggle against sin is the basis of God's approval. Now, we can, we can fall back into thinking that success against temptation, that's what brings God's approval to me, but failure brings God's disapproval. And as a result, we can experience what I call this, this yo-yo effect. Do you know what the yo-yo effect is? It's where you feel like God's favor toward you goes up and down based on your performance. Uh, it's where you feel like you're in and out of God's acceptance based on the consistency of your obedience. But see, the yo-yo effect, that doesn't fit with the gospel. And the gospel is summed up so beautifully in this, this one sentence. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, verse 2 goes on to explain why you can be sure that you are free from condemnation. Okay, listen to verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So notice how Paul's contrasting two laws here, or two principles. Uh, he, he says that you used to be stuck under the law of sin and death. And that just means that you used to be in this state of condemnation, you used to be separated from God, that was what governed your life, but now you're free from that. Now your life is governed by the law of the spirit of life. The law of the spirit of life, that, that actually means your new life in union with Christ. And the reason it's called the law of the spirit of life is because it's the Holy Spirit. He's the one who unites you to Christ. He puts you into the life of Jesus. Or actually, we could say it the other way around. He actually puts the life of Jesus into you. That's the law of the spirit of life. You know, he brings you into all that Christ 
has accomplished, all that Christ has done in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, that's all yours now. You're united to Christ. And that begins to, that begins to reshape your life. It now transforms you from the inside out. Verses 3 and 4 go on to expand on what this involves. It says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what does all that mean? That's really a summary of what the gospel is just in those two verses. See, it's saying that the Father sent the Son and he sent the Son to be like us, okay, to share a body like us, a body that's subject to the corruption of the fall, like us. And yet, unlike us, Jesus had no sin. Unlike us, he never broke the law. He kept it perfectly from beginning to the end And then at the end, what what did he do? He went to the cross and he died. Why? To be condemned for our sin. Okay, The things that we did wrong, that was all put on him. He paid the price. He was punished in our place. He was condemned so that what's the result now for us? No condemnation. Do you see that? See, thanks to Jesus, verse 4 is saying that everything that the law required of us and yet we broke, Everything has now been fulfilled for you in Christ. The sentence of the law has been carried out for you by Jesus. The requirements of the law have been met for you by Jesus. And that's why right now and forevermore, no condemnation for you. You're completely free of any judgment from God because Christ has taken it all it's taken it all in your place. That's the freedom that we have in Christ. And yet there's something else that verse 4 is saying. There's something more. Because not only is it freedom from no condemnation, it's freedom from being stuck in that life of condemnation. That's where we used to be stuck. There was nothing we could do to get out of it. We're brought out of that, but we're now in this new life. We have this new life in Christ, a life that is free free from condemnation, free to live for God. And uh, that's why Paul says that all of this happens for those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So it's a freedom to live a new life, a life in relationship with God. And I actually think that's what um, Charles Wesley was getting at, you know, that hymn we just sung, and, and can it be? And that last verse, No condemnation now I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. What what is that alive in him business? That's exactly what this verse is talking about. Okay, You have life in Christ, a new life, condemnation gone. You're in this new life of relationship with God, this life of freedom. And so the application from verses 1 to 4 is simply this. Embrace your freedom in Christ. Okay, take hold of it. Rest in it. Live as someone who is not condemned. That actually means reject all forms of self-condemnation. You know, some of you here can be your harshest critic. 
Some of you here can go around uh, dwelling on past mistakes, feeling so unworthy. This verse is saying, chuck all of that out. Reject all forms of self-condemnation. You're free. Jesus has set you free from that. Okay, You know that yo-yo effect, in and out of God's favor? Forget it. That's gone. Jesus has freed you from that. It doesn't even work. It never worked. It never can work. Christ has freed you, which means that you can now live your life in the full assurance that God loves and accepts you, not based on your performance, but because of Christ's finished work. Okay, do you realize that when you're in Christ, there's nothing you can do that will make God love you any more? And there's nothing you can do that would make God love you any less. Okay, you really are free. You're absolutely free from all condemnation. And that actually, it frees you to enjoy God's presence. It frees you to, to be in a relationship with him where there's no fear. There's no guilt. There's no running or hiding. You can enjoy God's presence. You can, you can love him. You can serve him. You can enjoy him. And see, that's what it means to, to walk according to the Spirit. We can now enjoy and serve God in a way that we could never do, just left to ourselves. And so that's the freedom that the Holy Spirit assures you of. It's this freedom of condemnation and free to live in relationship with God. So that's the first thing. Now, the second thing this passage tells us, though, not only do we have assurance of freedom from condemnation, but we also have the assurance of a new mindset. Okay, When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, gives you a whole new mindset. And you see that in verses 5 to 8. Uh, look at verse 5. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So here Paul, he's contrasting two different mindsets. The mindset of those who are disconnected from Christ, so the unbeliever, and the mindset of those who, are, who belong to Christ or the believer. And uh, these two different mindsets... Now, what it means, when Paul says, set, you know, these set their minds on things, now you set your mind on the flesh or you set your mind on the spirit, what it means by set your mind, it's more than just the thoughts you have. You know, we tend to associate the mind just with the thoughts, but in the Bible, the mind, it's, it's much broader than that. It's not just thoughts, it's also values. It's also outlook. So this is talking about, you know, what, what kind of things preoccupy your life? What is the direction of your life? Setting your mind, it's talking about um, what things do you value? What are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are your deep longings? What are the things that you love? That's what it means to set your mind on stuff, according to this passage. And the point that Paul makes here is that the change that the Spirit brings into your life, it's so radical that uh, it's a completely different mindset, a completely different outlook on life. So you used to be set on the things of the flesh, but now your mind is set on the things of the spirit. And uh, they're two very different lives. 
But when Paul lays them out like this, he does it so that we can see how big the change is. So we can just see how big the difference is between the old life and the new life. And it also helps us to measure our experience. You know, which, which one do you think captures your life, your experience? So let's just look at them in turn. Uh, what, what is this first one, the mind that's set on the things of the flesh? The flesh, that's, I guess, a fairly confusing word because when we talk about flesh, you know, we talk about um, flesh and bones, you know, this sort of stuff. <laughs> that's not what it means. Uh, flesh, in where Paul's talking about it here, he's actually talking about um, our, our, uh, our nature, uh, our, our human nature in its fallen state. Uh, he's talking about our inner being that's still under the dominion of sin. And so to set the mind on the flesh, that actually means to be preoccupied with the things of the old nature, the things of the, the sinful nature. <clears throat> so really being preoccupied and basically pursuing a life of um, independence from God. And you see that in verse 7, <clears throat> because in verse <clears throat> 7 Paul says, uh, the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. <clears throat> uh, so that there's the mindset of the flesh. <clears throat> Excuse me, can I? Um, <laughs> thanks for that. <clears throat> Just um, ponder verse 7 for a second. <clears throat> So the mindset of the flesh, hostile to God, uh, does not submit, indeed cannot. Now, that's talking about a lifestyle that is all about self-centeredness. Now, it's a life that thinks, thinks, you know, I'm at the center of my own world. Everything revolves around me. My needs, my wishes, that's what is most important. Uh, it also, it's talking about a life of self-determination as well. It's saying that you know, I determine the shape of my own life. You know, no one tells me what to do. I decide for myself. And that's why the mind set on the flesh does not submit to God's law. In fact, Paul goes one further. He says it can't, cannot please God in verse 8. And so this is talking about the, the inability of a non-Christian to do anything that pleases God. And that might sound a little bit surprising because, you know, if you've got a non-Christian neighbour, you know that they seem to do lots of good things. So how can Paul say that a non-Christian can't do anything at all to please God? And the reason is, is because the underlying motivation of everything that someone who is disconnected from Christ, you know, the underlying motivation of every deed, every thought, every word, it's never for the glory of God. And therefore, even though it might look good in an outward form, even though it might be a noble uh, thing to do or say, but because the underlying motive is never for the glory of God, then no matter how good it looks, it, it still doesn't please God. <clears throat> Which is actually interesting when you think about um, the life of the Apostle Paul himself. Because what was Paul before he became a Christian? He was a Pharisee. And so he had this idea that everything he did, he thought, was about pleasing God. You know, he thought his life was really, really up there. You know, he 
kept all the rules. He'd done all these things. He was very diligent uh, in trying to do everything that he thought would make God impressed with him. But what was the underlying motivation of everything Paul did before he became a Christian? The underlying motive was self-righteousness. And so everything he did, everything he said, everything he thought, while it might have looked good to others looking on, didn't look good to God at all. Because everything he did was motivated by a rejection of God as his Lord and Saviour. He was trying to be his own Lord and Saviour. And so despite how, live, uh, how good his life looked on the outside, it was, it was actually all an expression of the rejection of God. That's what self-righteousness is. See, without the Spirit, it's impossible to please God. You know that verse that says, without faith it's impossible to please God? Well, where does faith come from? The Spirit of God. He's the one who imparts it. And so the mind set on the flesh cannot please God. And the other thing it says in here is in verse 6, it says the mindset on the flesh is um, death. Death, which is separation from God, eternal separation from God, in fact. So that's, that's the mindset of the flesh. But then verse 5 also speaks of those who live not according to the flesh, but who live according to the Spirit and who set their mind on the things of the Spirit. And that's a whole new way of life. That's life going in a whole new direction. Uh, and that's talking about believers. See, believers are, are those who not only do what the Spirit wants, but also love what the Spirit loves. Because notice how it says they set their mind on the things of the Spirit. Okay, what are the things of the Spirit? What is the Spirit on about? What is, you know, what is the Spirit preoccupied with? Well, I could go on and on about that for ages, but let me just give you a sample. We read about in John chapter 16 that what's the Spirit on about there? Truth. Okay, conviction, convicting the world of the truth. And then Jesus said that the Spirit is all about the glory of Christ. So that's what preoccupies the Spirit with, the glory of Jesus. Okay, the, the truth. Uh, the Spirit's on about people getting saved. And so you can see how radically different these two lives are. Uh, to have the mindset of the Spirit, it's not just a top-up on an already nice life. This is a complete overhaul. This is like getting a car and ripping out the engine, ripping out the drivetrain, ripping out the seats, everything, and replacing it all with a new engine, new drivetrain. New interior, everything. So what you've got left is really just a shell of what it once was. That's the difference going on here. This is your life running to a whole new tune, going in a whole new direction. Uh, this is why other passages talk about the difference between these two lives as a regeneration. Now, if you've got the Spirit, what are you? You're born again. Okay, This is a whole new life. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. A new creation, that's something brand new. He says, The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And see, the point of laying out this contrast between life in the flesh 
And life in the Spirit is to recognize that you are either in one or the other. Okay, these are not two li- these are not two <clears throat> mindsets that exist in the one person. These are not two mindsets that you kind of alternate between. You know, on Monday you're in the spirit, but on Tuesday, you know, you went a bit off track and so now you're in the flesh. It's not like that. This is talking about you, you're either in one or the other. Okay, you're either still in the flesh or you've been born again and you're now in the spirit. And you're now permanently in the spirit. And so what this passage is doing, it's getting us to actually do some self-examination, saying which one am I in? Which one reflects my life? You know, which one do you, do you see at work in your life? That's like asking what is the direction of your life? What kind of things preoccupy you? Where does your mind go to when there's nothing else to think about? Okay, when you're at home, when you're at work, in your hobbies, when you're playing sport, when you're hanging out with friends, can you see in your life a love for the things that the Spirit loves? Okay, is that there? But what the, the main application, though, of this passage or this section is to show you who are believers just how radical of a change that the Spirit has brought to your life. Uh, without the Spirit, you literally had no interest in the things of God. Without the Spirit, you have no interest at all in doing life on God's terms. Uh, You need to see that if you've got the Holy Spirit, this is a huge transformation. This is 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 such a radical change. Uh, Your life is on a completely different path. It's like, um, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, it's kind of like a new owner coming into an old house. And uh, he comes in and does what every new owner of an old house does, starts to remake it into a place that suits him. Now he starts to, to make it a place that suits his interests, his tastes. And if that's going on in your life, you know that that's a very painful process because you feel like things are getting turned upside down, things are changing, uh, it's painful because he exposes deep problems in your life that previously you didn't even realize were, were there. And like any renovation, it's, it's never complete. <laughs> it's always going on, which is what um, the Bible says. Uh, sin remains in us until, well, for the rest of our earthly lives. And next week we're going to look at verse 13 that talks about we've got to kill sin. And that's something that we have to keep doing for the rest of our earthly lives. But what this is saying is that it's not you left to your own devices. It's not you left to your own willpower. Okay, The Spirit has come into your life to empower you to live this new life, to have this new, new mindset. And that should actually fill you with great confidence as you pursue the things of God. See, we can be people who are... Uh, who, who are completely realistic about how hard the struggle with sin is and yet never giving in to a defeatist mindset. We can, we can say, yeah, sin is really hard. I still am struggling. Sometimes I get beaten by it. And yet not once do we go, therefore I give up because it's a hopeless cause. 
Okay, why? Because you have the Spirit dwelling in you. And therefore, that's reassuring. At the same time, it's very humbling as well because you realize that if you ever do anything that pleases God, that didn't originate from you. Okay, it comes from the Spirit working in you. And so no matter how changed our lives are, no matter what thing we do that pleases God, where does all the glory go? God alone, he always gets all the credit. So there you go, the Holy Spirit, he gives us the assurance of no condemnation, the assurance of a new mindset, but finally he gives us the assurance of a um, final victory. And that's the point of verses 9 to 11. Uh, 9 to 11, it's in verse 9 it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, that's, that's a relief, um, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And I know that's put in the negative, but it's actually a very reassuring statement because it's just saying if you belong to Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit. Okay, The Holy Spirit is not something extra that you might get if you try really hard. No, if you're in Jesus, you've got the Spirit. Okay, So you're secure. And notice how the Spirit, how he's described here. He's the Spirit of God. He's the spirit of Christ. Back in verse 2, he's the spirit of life. What's that telling us? It's telling us that the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force. He's not something separate to God. He actually is God. Okay? He's the third person of the Trinity, uh, which means that if you've got him, you're actually in fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It means you have the spirit of Christ living in you. Okay, you've got Christ in you by his spirit. And therefore, that's the guarantee that you have not just everything that Christ has done in the past, but you've got everything that he will do in the future as well when he comes again, which is what verses 10 and 11 talk about. It says, if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Uh, Now, can you see the assurance in those verses? Can you see that what this is saying is that if you have the Holy Spirit then he is the same spirit who dwelt in Jesus. He's the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. So if you have him, what does that mean? It means you're going to experience the exact same thing. You're going to be raised from the dead at the end. See, to have the spirit now means that there's this unbroken connection to you being raised from the grave on the day Jesus returns. <clears throat> and, and, and that is, it's really the assurance of the final victory. Okay, Because here we are, we're saved from sin, we're not under condemnation, yet sin remains, it's, it's still a battle, but it's a battle that ends in victory. A victory that's already secured at the cross and will be experienced when Jesus comes again. And so that means that one day we will actually have eyes 
We will have a mouth and a tongue. We will have hands and feet that don't sin anymore. (laughs) Can you even imagine that? That's what's guaranteed. What's the guarantee? The Spirit indwelling in you. So this, this passage, it's all about assurance. Okay, Sin can't win. Death can't win. Because Christ has conquered all of that. And the Spirit is the one who, who connects you to Jesus so that if you have him, you're connected there forever, permanently, in Christ. And therefore, sin can't beat you. There's no condemnation now. There will be no condemna- condemnation ever. Because Christ has conquered sin. And therefore, you will reign forever with him. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for this uh, passage. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the, the assurance that you give uh, to us uh, of the, the truth of the gospel, that Christ has secured uh, no condemnation for us by taking that condemnation on himself. And we thank you, Father, that you've now sent your spirit into our lives to assure us that all of this is ours, to assure us that we are in Christ and that we have this whole new life, this this life ahead of us of being able to live in fellowship with you and to be able to enjoy the uh, the experience of, of of living with you as our as our God and as our Savior, and uh, as we're going to look at next week as our Father that we can cry out to. But Lord, we pray that each day we will remember this, that we will not um, condemn ourselves for our failures but always put our eyes on Christ and realize he was condemned for us. Uh, Lord, we pray that that would free us, free us to live for you without any fear and without any guilt and to be able to live for you with joy and with love. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.